this day on the TKW podcast. Uh, I'm Anthony Corbo, and I'm here with TKW's newest member, Jeffrey Blown. What's up, Jeff? Yeah, what's going on? An exciting day, as uh, our listeners won't be able to see, but you can see I had to put on my mellow jersey today. Yeah, you know what? All right, so it's been an exciting morning. I've gone through all the points. I actually have like a full list of all the uh, signings and trades and picks that Phil's made during his tenure with the team. Uh, we'll get to that a little bit later, but just to start things off, I feel like Mel is a hero today, right? He's he's the champion yeah. in the fight. He think he he won. He outlasted him. You know, I mean, he's he's. I guess people criticize him for being stubborn, uh, holding on to the ball for too long. But the fact is, uh, maybe that stubbornness paid off for him to to stick around. I would say it is. I mean, I don't at this point in time, and we can get into detail a little bit later about this too, but. Do you, does this completely flip the script on Melo leaving? Is he, is he going to be a Nick for throughout the summer, at least at this point? Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. And I, I just can't decide where, where this puts Melo because I mean, obviously it would be easy to say, okay, now, you know, we've seen he prefers to stay now with Phil gone. There's no reason for him uh, to leave. But that being said, I don't know if whoever comes in to replace Phil um, you know, maybe has their own idea and maybe, you know, quite frankly, has a better way of dealing, you know, has a better way of uh, relationship with Mello or with other teams that it opens up new doors where, you know, if Mello is saying, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to just do what Phil wants. And that's why I'm not going to accept a trade anywhere. Maybe with someone new that he has a better relationship with, um, you know, there's more avenues than there were before. Yeah. So let's go, let's run through, numbers here it's uh it's june 28th it's approximately 11 o'clock in the morning uh eastern time and phil jackson's no longer the president of the new york knicks press release has been officially let out they've agreed to part ways however that was broken down with firings or you know a mutual decision will probably be up in the air for a long time but his record ends at 80 and 166 He's missed the playoffs every year during his tenure. Um, he has a long list of signings, a pretty decent list of, of draft picks and many trades at this point. Um, and it's strange to me, too, that, you know, even beyond Mello, he, he set the stage. KP set the, uh, you know, helped out a lot with Phil Ziggs as well. You know, probably was the final straw. Uh, but really, it seems like, for the first time in a long time, James Dolan has been a savior to the Knicks franchise. Yeah, I, I, that's it. I think even uh, Zach Lowe tweeted that out this morning, but I was thinking the same thing. I mean, I want to say it was 99 officially when Dolan took over as owner. So mm-hmm. that was obviously at the tail end of, you know, those 90 teams run. So if you really think about it, it's like there hasn't you know, many moments in the, what, 17, 18 years since where you could say on a morning like this that most Knicks fans are in agreement with the move made by James Dolan. It's, I honestly, it, it's, it's fascinating to me. I, I can't believe that I, this, I never thought this day would truly come. I was, and the thing that really set me off is just a couple of minutes ago, um, you know, we were, we were looking through the, the chat as everyone in TKW is pretty ecstatic by the news right now. But uh, someone sent a picture that had, that showed 
uh, Porzingis liking or following Neil Kina on Instagram right. and liking a couple of his pictures. And at that moment, I'm getting notes ready for this podcast, and I write KP back in all caps with four exclamation points afterwards and smiled <laughs> so big and threw my pen down in my notebook. And I, I just, this is the most excited I've been about the Knicks for like literally this entire year. I just saw this entire yeah. experiment doomed to failure. I saw KP leaving and that would have been another star wasted. You know, I would have seen yeah. Melo going out on bad terms, which I really didn't want to see happen, uh, you know, because as much as it's been a strained relationship, I mean, just the ecstaticness around having Melo on the team for those first few years and just his star has always been able to keep the team going. But it, it's just, I just feel like, you know, I woke up today and this weight has been just lifted off my shoulders. Yeah, no. As and I think so. Nothing invested in this team at all. Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's what my wife always asked me. It's like, you guys realize you can't actually change the outcome of what happened. Right? <laughs> um, but I think the thing, too, that to be excited about is we've had, obviously, uh, moments like this in, in recent history, right? Isaiah Thomas would be the first name to come to mind. But I think the difference here is all bad things that he didn't trade away any future draft picks. The Knicks still have all of their draft picks in possession. So it's not like, okay, we're all celebrating that we're getting rid of, you know, the guy who put us in a mess. Now, even with a replacement coming in, we still sort of have to pay the cost for the previous regime's bad move. With Phil, because he at least kept those draft picks, I'm even more excited because now whoever comes in that's new and we'll talk about that I'm sure in a bit, they, they have all the resources in front of them. They, they, they're not in debt based on bad moves by Phil. Right. And so that, that's a, that's a really big point. And I think that's going to play a big role in figuring out who's going to be coming along. The, the thing mm -hmm. is that I don't see it's, they can't do a full rebuild after this. They can only, they have to build upwards from where they're at now. Because even as young as KP is, I don't think his timeline and his development is going to... I don't think that can last the span of an entire full rebuild. I don't think that can last the span of a tanking year. It just right. kind of hold, you know, holds me back when I'm hearing Hinky a little bit. But um, on, the, on the note of draft picks, so Phil's final gift to the team uh, is Frank Nielakina, the point guard who's right. been described to be you know, the ultimate point guard triangle. Or uh, triangle point guard. Sorry, um, is this still the right pick necessarily for the team? If it was someone else in charge, would you have seen them going in a different direction? Right. Yeah. I mean, and that, that's going to be the million dollar question, right? I mean, I think everyone knew Dennis Smith Jr. represented that high ceiling. Um, the guy that I mean, remember he was drafted ninth, so you know. Everyone will pick on the Knicks as a, a superstar and say, oh, see if, if Phil would have picked him. Well, you know, there were still seven other teams in front of the Knicks that passed on him, too. He, he's a high-risk player. Um, I think regardless of who is in charge, he was the one that you're 50-50 about, right? But, you know, I think with Frank, I, I'm still okay with that pick because, you know, he plays defense, uh, something that obviously the, the Knicks need. Um, and he, he just seemed to me like a safer pick. Uh, than Dennis Smith Jr. Maybe, you know, Dennis has a higher ceiling, but I think the more likely outcome of getting a legitimate 
starting player was was Frank. So even if it doesn't work out, I can't kill Phil and say, oh, they only drafted him because of the triangle because I think you know other GMs might have made the same pick. Right. I, he'll he'll probably be a fine player all on his own, and it's not like he'll be you know held down by the triangle like so many other players who have come through the system in the last couple of years have been. He'll have the chance to really grow into its own skill set. So I think at this point it, it's better off, you know, not having Phil getting the system stuck in the Okina's head from the beginning of his tenure and kind of just letting him grow on his own. Right, maybe, 18 year old with, you know, incredible athleticism. Right, he's able to develop better. I mean, it's still you as a fan to realize like all they're, you know, they're they're working out guys specific to the triangle. So you could argue that the assistant GMs, like you know, Alan Houston or even Steve Mills, of uh, uh, some of the scouts, maybe they get a better view of another prospect if they're not instructed. You have to have a different recommendation. So you know, you can definitely make that argument. You, you don't but about. The fact that we're a couple days at draft and they fire Phil after he makes that decision. But I guess I'm just saying, taking a wide view of it, it's not something that I can be crazy about considering the risk around uh, Dennis Smith Jr. Yeah, I can agree with that. Um, Just a quick program thing right now. I think I'm going to shut the uh, video off for us because I'm starting to get some pretty poor connection over here. Uh, Yeah, sure. So if you want to do the same thing. Your nice way of saying you're tired of looking at me. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, JB. All right. Um, so there's something else that's kind of interesting that was coming up with all this. Um, I started. I was started thinking about uh, Jeff Hornacek. What's, right. What's his kind of? He seems like he's got some newfound freedom here too. You know, he began the season with a little bit of uh, freedom in the sense that he could run. Uh, you know, he, he had more of a motion offense. He, Phil was saying that he wasn't necessarily holding him down by the triangle. Uh, and now that's, com- you know, he kind of lost some of that freedom with the team struggling after about December. But now that he doesn't have that triangle over his head, I guess I'm wondering how much of that will stay incorporated in the system and where Hornacek decides to go from here. Right. Well, I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the triangle, because of everything with Phil, it's become sort of the an unfriendly word to Nick fans. But I, I think we all, you know, people who watch basketball close enough realize that there are plenty of elements of the triangle that exist, you know, throughout the league. I mean, the, the Warriors being the best example. In fact, Steve Kerr um, on a podcast right following the, the finals with Zach Lowe, um, he, he talked a lot in that podcast how he actually, you know, still calls Phil day to day and that, you know, a lot of his, um, thinking still comes from his time under Phil running the triangle. Uh, a lot of the splits that the Warriors like to run uh, with their fluid offense are just pieces of the triangle. So I don't think it's a problem if Hornacek still incorporates those things. I think it's just a matter of not, be, you know, being being able to adapt to. Okay, we're in a modern NBA where teams are shooting threes, you know, spreading the floor that while we have those pieces, we still have to recognize that we can't just run the exact system that was run by the 96 Bulls. We, we need to adapt a bit to, to the new league and to the new personnel on the team. Agreed. And that kind of 
That brings me to another point here where there's a lot of big man depth on the Knicks roster right now. You have a guy, you have Kristaps Porzingis back in the fold, presumably happy, um, ready to explore some new uh, directions and how he's going to play and, you know, new avenues for him to explore on the court in a Knicks uniform. You have a guy who just won, uh, you know, all uh, who made the all-rookie team in Billy Hernan Gomez. You still have Joakim Noah there, who's, you know, presumably by the end of his suspension will be healthy and ready to play. Uh, you have a couple of other pieces, too. Um, if if we're starting to move into this new direction and they want to finally take advantage of KP being so uh, tall and, you know, biggest guy in the NBA, if they want to move him down to the five, is what does that mean for the other guys in the roster? How soon do we uh, start talking about a Noah salary dump? Or is that even feasible at this point? Yeah, well, I, I guess we need the, the clickety-clack uh, noise because we did just post today um, a breakdown of the Knicks salary cap uh, position. Uh, who's that written by? And that was written by me. <laughs> 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 I was trying to hide that fact. It's not like <laughs> a self-promotion, right? Um, but, you know, what I mentioned in that piece was, you know, the NOAA contract is obviously, it's obviously bad, but I think what we're seeing is around the league over the last two years with the cap spike, a lot of teams, you know, made bad deals. And what and I guess also to caveat that, what we have to remember is the way the CBA is set up where 50% of the revenue goes to the players, the, the system is just inefficient of how that money flows to the players. So you get that, that summer where, you know, the, the cap balloons and now this is how essentially that revenue gets to the players. So teams end up overpaying in those particular summers. It's not just a reflection of a, a certain GM. But that being said, to your original question with Noah, you know, I think, I think like I mentioned in the, in the cap piece, I, I don't think that's a contract that Nick should look to move just because the cost of moving it. I agree that you want to see more time with Porzingis at the five, but I think if you can sort of ignore how much Noah is getting paid and just focus on what is his best role, you could see him playing more limited minutes since his, you know, he's uh, prone to wear down and, and playing in spots maybe when Porzingis isn't on the floor or maybe you, know, you move Porzingis to the floor just for limited minutes, but for the most point part, you're, uh, you know, you're playing Porzingis more at the five. And then that contract it's not like the Knicks or the Lakers, you know, the, the Lakers, they have a real possibility that they could go get a Paul George, a LeBron James. So when they mm -hmm. trade a Moskov and attach D'Angelo Russell, that's a huge cost they're willing to take because of the benefit. If the Knicks want to trade Noah and were to attach a draft pick, it would just, it would just be terrible because there's no, there's no reality and idea that they're going to attract, you know, any free agent with that money. So so I think you you keep Noah. I just think you play him in a different role. You don't play him just based on the amount he's getting paid. You play him based on the best way he can contribute. There's no way he comes in next season and demands to be the starter, right? I mean, well, he's got the suspension, right, to start That's the year. True, yeah. So maybe, maybe that actually, in a way, is, is a helpful thing, right? Like, I, I forget how many games now is left if it's, 10 11 but I think you made, let's say, I think he played like five games or he was healthy for five games towards the end of the season uh because he had yeah yeah something like that he's, he's got somewhere between 10 and 20 we'll say 
so yeah, so let's say it's 10 games. And in that time they try, you know, a different lineup with KP and it works. Let's say, you know, let's not go crazy. Let's say they're six and four, but clearly the lineup works. It might just be a nice way for it to figure it out itself where, you know, Noah comes back and he realizes he can't play in that exact same role. Yeah, and and to do so would just break up too much consistency that the team might have already developed at that point. It's a, it's a really interesting uh, outlook to the beginning of next season and even preseason from here. It's it's just I, I can't even predict it. I don't know what's going to happen. And I, it's it's exciting at least. Yeah, no, I know definitely. So uh, Steve Mills is still on board with the team. He's still in his GM role. Um, Tim Lee. Uh, I think I may have. Lewicki? Lewicki, yeah. I forgot to finish uh, writing his name on my paper. Yeah, so <laughs> Tim Lewicki, uh, a partner at an MSG affiliate is what I got from the press release, uh, with some previous basketball experience, is uh, the interim president for the time being. Um, but obviously that's not going to be a permanent thing. A couple of names out on the market. What are we looking at right now? Yeah, so Woj tweeted out that uh, Masai Uhiri, who's currently the, the Raptors uh, president, uh, is the main target of Dolan. And, and Lewicki, who has the connection, he was uh, CEO of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, which is uh, basically the in charge of both the, the Maple Leafs and the Raptors. So he has a connection to Uhiri. Okay. So that would make sense that, you know, that, that's why they, they would be tied to him. And, and an interesting, I guess, connection to the Knicks with Masai because he was on the other side of, you know, maybe two of the most significant trades in, in recent time when he was, right. Yeah. Right. Denver with Mello. And then I, I believe it was his first um, transaction. Cause I was looking it up this morning. His first transaction with the Raptors was the Bargnani trade. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess Dolan just figured, Hey, this guy's been beating us up long enough. <laughs> <laughs> him, join him, I guess. Yeah. In. Um, yeah. So that, that seems to be the big name floating around. Um, the other one I'm hearing is Hinky. Um, you know, obviously the process has been paying off, but I don't, I think Nick's fans are overreacting when they're looking at that. I don't, th- I feel like he's not a guy who can repeat what he did twice for a saw. And second of all, I don't, it's it's not a thing that I think Knicks fans want to suffer through for another couple of years. The Sixers yeah, had I mean, some real potential at times when the when the Knicks were very much not on the same level. Right. No. I mean, I think to me, what what interests me about Hinky is, and I don't think he. I think because the process is obviously how he's sort of come to fame. I, I think people think, okay, well, anywhere he goes, he's going to do that that same strategy. I, I think he's similar to like a Daryl Morey. I mean, you know, we thought last night the big rumor was about Chris Paul uh, maybe joining James Harden, but uh, until this news broke with Bill Jackson, but I think similar to Morey, he's, he's going to try whatever he thinks is the best way to, to build a team. So while tanking with the Sixers was the approach he took, I wouldn't necessarily think like, Oh, if he comes to the Knicks, that means they're automatically tanking I, I you know but i would say that with hinky that you know where you get into is you know if we just survived all the porzingis trade rumors i think i mentioned this in our uh black chat 
I mean, Hinky's the type of guy, he would have no problem coming in and saying, oh, well, actually, there is a really good deal out there for KP. So, so I'm going to trade him just to get more assets because I think his thinking is just constantly, if you have an asset, get more, similar to Danny Ainge at the Celtics. So, you know, I, he's an interesting candidate, but I think he would definitely be one that would be quite polarizing um, because he wouldn't be afraid to make, you know, bold moves, but at least different from Phil he has a track record of, you know, doing something that at least appears in Philadelphia is, is uh, showing some success. Sorry, left you on mute for a second there. Um, I was thinking about Alan Houston just now too, because um, he is down with the wet, or I guess I should say up with the Westchester Knicks um, as their he's their GM right now, I believe. Right. Yep. Um, I don't necessarily see him stepping into the presidency necessarily, but I was thinking like, you know, if Mills was was moved to the president role and Alan Houston came into the GM role or, you know, even a different some some other kind of shakeup of the organization where Alan Houston could take his next step up. What would, how would you feel about something like that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's easy right now because you have Hinky and then we haven't talked about yet, but uh, David Griffin from mm -hmm. Cleveland. Right. Those are the two big names. And in New York, we're used to the big names. But if you think about guys who have been successful throughout the league, it's it's rare that a, that an executive who has had a lot of success one place then goes to a second place and does the same thing. I mean, you know, Pat Riley was an executive, but he's a rare coach slash executive that has sort of had a, a mark on multiple franchises. But Usually it's guys that, you know, other people have not heard of. I know obviously Houston being the next player, but it usually is this way. You promote up. It's not this big headline slash news. It's someone with, who knows your organization, who's, you know, smart and has proven that, you know, they're ready, uh, you know, to, to take the role. So I'm fine with Alan Houston, but I'll say, you know, I just, we just don't know. Right. I mean, we, as fans, we don't know. You know, is he the guy that, you know, when they're sitting in meetings, is he the guy that's always kind of making the, the insightful comment in the corner and everyone sort of knows, oh, he, he knows what's going on. He's got to be the next guy. You know, it's just hard for us to evaluate it from afar. Right. And that's kind of that's kind of my more of my point, too, uh, when I bring up the you know both points you just touched on there, the big name thing in New York and the promotion from within. That's what kind of makes sense with the whole Allen Houston scenario to me. Because he does have that experience where he's a guy who's been in the organization for a very long time at this point, you know, knows the ins and outs a little bit. I'm sure has good relationships with James Dolan at this point. Um, you know, might not necessarily be the decision maker though. But that's that's kind of where I get to the point of it doesn't necessarily have to be him, but let him be the name who's taking the big step up and promote someone else from within, perhaps. You know, the guy that we don't know about who's in the organization right now who's ready to take that next step up. Um, right. it, it's, it's interesting. There's definitely more options, at the, you know, especially since this news is so fresh, but there's more options than we know of right now. Um, so to get, a, you know, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but it's, it's interesting. They have a lot, there's a lot of possibility here, um, which is very rare considering this team felt very uh, strangled for a period of time. Right. Yeah. And I, and I saw, um, I guess, I guess Woj put a more detailed article out uh, on the vertical his last few days here before he, he joined the mothership. But 
Um, you know, and it's funny because Woj is pretty clear. He he does not have an affinity for the the current Nick leadership. I mean, he any chance he gets, he will find a way to to sort of poke at at Phil Jackson and Dolan, and, and maybe rightfully so. Obviously, there's no one more connected than than him. So if he's saying that, that's probably the the perception everyone else has. But he he made a good point. I guess I'm just reading through his article where he's basically saying, look. This is exciting news that Phil Jackson is gone for Knicks fans, but who knows who the replacement will be? I mean, this is this is still James Dolan. I mean, Isaiah Thomas is still with, you know with the Liberty, um, very close to Dolan. So, yeah. So, I mean, as much as we want to say, okay, these are the obvious choices out there, we, we don't know. I mean that. Is it possible that all of a sudden, you know, we're as excited as we are today, we're upset tomorrow over who we picked with Dolan? You know, it is. So I thought that was kind of a good point. By well, I hope he just, I just hope he has, it doesn't have to be an epiphany, but I hope he just has a realization at this point. You know, he hired for this role and for many previous roles, he's hired guys with no experience at their job other than being great at doing other things. You know, this happened with Isaiah. Uh, it happened with Phil, and I feel like this time the Phil Jackson one really came back to burn him. I think he finally had the realization that his team was falling apart. He was staring at KP walking out the door the first chance he got, or getting moved before he even had a say. He was looking at the other star player, the team Mello, getting burned out of town too. And I think he, you know, he just had the realization that I, you know, I picked the wrong guy for the job. He didn't have enough experience, is what I'm coming back to. So. That's what makes me think that he's going to be looking at someone. He's finally going to be at least considering qualifications for this next job. I mean, that's got to be a step up, right? What yeah, I mean, they'll even have before this, you know? Right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you would hope. And, um, <clears throat> you know, part of it is luck, too. I mean, let's face it. Yeah, Phil has had, had no experience, but... Um, you know, you never knew when, you know, Jerry West first got into, you know, his executive role that he would become, you know, Jerry West's executive, which is almost now like he was as a player. I mean, sometimes, you know, you it's easy to say, okay, these guys had no experience or, you know, even with Isaiah, I know Isaiah didn't have a great track record even before the Knicks, but again, I mean, Dolan is picking guys that, he's hoping, okay, you know, I can step back. I don't know basketball. I think that he said that a lot when he, when he hired Phil, he said, look, this is not what I'm good at. So I'm hiring someone who knows basketball. And then, it, you know, it, it's repeatedly blown up in his face, but in terms of, you know, does he maybe take a different approach? Um, yeah. I mean, you would, you would hope he's got to be sitting there thinking, geez, you know, I hire Phil Jackson thinking for once it's going to keep me, you know, <laughs> It's going to keep me clear of all this uh, ridicule, and it only made it worse. So um, for him to extend the two-year option, what was that, in February for $24 mm -hmm. million, dollars, and then a few months later to dismiss him, he's got, he, he's got to be pretty pretty upset. Cause that, that, that's what really brings me to think that he's, got, he's had to have had, you know, he's got to look at this a little differently at this point. If there's anything that can make someone realize, you know, that they need to take a different approach. It's got to be, you know, letting $24 million go. Yeah, right. And I, I don't know because, you know, they obviously have plenty of money that if that impacts 
the type of candidate they want to bring in. You know, if they have to spend a lot to bring in a new one when they're already paying $24 million, again, that, that probably won't impact it, but that, that's something else to think about. Um, what about with, you know, the thing I've been thinking about a lot even before this, but just in the last couple of weeks, I mean, how much do you think these few years with the Knicks, and especially I'll say this last year in particular, impacts the way, uh, basically impacts Phil Jackson's legacy? I mean, when you think about current players throughout the league, you know, from LeBron James to Melo on down, you know, they obviously do not have a favorable, favorable view of him. So when Phil Jackson goes back to California, he's got to be sitting there on a plane thinking, geez, you know what? I had whatever it was, 11 championships. I was the hero in the 70s with the Knicks, with the Lakers, the Bulls. And I had to get this one last payday. But, but is the cost that we look at him a lot differently than if he had just not taken this job? I don't necessarily. It, there's The way I look at it is that you can't dismiss the 11 and really total 13 rings that Phil won in the NBA. Yo, that, that part of his, uh, his legacy will always be preserved. I think his greatness will always be ingrained in, you know, in Michael Jordan's legacy and Kobe Bryant's legacy, you know, and in, in, in New York, when you look at the seventies teams, uh, that legacy too. And I think the way that it just gets looked at now is that, you know, He's just an old man who is in over his head at this point. And I think that his tenure with the Knicks will be uh, dismissed pretty much as quickly as the Knicks are around the majority of the NBA. Um, and, you know, it'll just, it'll have a bigger impact in New York than it will anywhere else in, in, in America or in any other kind of fans mindset, I guess. Um, it, yeah, he's just... It hurts us more than it's going to hurt anyone else. I, I'll put it that way. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's probably true. Cause I mean, it is like any fan does this with their own team. Um, you know, some of the day-to-day stuff, like you said, if you're not following the Knicks, um, you know, that's just not even on your radar, um, you know, on, on reasons we get upset, but it just seems like, you know, obviously he walks away with $60 million. So that's the biggest thing he gets. But in terms of his basketball legacy, it just seems like he did nothing to help it and a lot to hurt it over the, you know, over these last couple of years. I just think that it's differentiated enough where, you know, he can be looked at, you know, because it's like his, what would you say? I guess mediocre playing career. He had a good playing career. It wasn't like he was, you know, Wilt Chamberlain out there. But his, right. his average NBA playing career did, doesn't necessarily hurt his legacy on his coaching career. So I think his shoddy performance as a president won't affect his coaching career either. And we can just look at these all these things as different entities of Phil Jackson. And, you know, we'll, we'll realize just just like, you know, Jordan coming back to play for the Wizards doesn't doesn't tarnish his time on, on the Bulls. Yeah, you know, right. It's it, it'll all be differentiated, and we'll be able to separate Phil Jackson, the coach, from Phil Jackson, the executive, or at least the NBA will. I don't know about Knicks fans. <laughs> right, right. I, right. I'm certainly uh, scarred, but um, so I think kind of the last thing I want to look at right here is, and this might take a minute to run through, but I have a list 
I, I'm not including training camp moves in here, uh, but I have a list of every lasting transaction that Phil Jackson had as an executive of the Knicks. Um, and for all, all of us out there, especially us nerds, who want to know exactly what went on, I'm about to run through it. So strap in, JB. <laughs> um, going from the beginning, let's start with trades. First one was Chandler Felton for Calderon, Dallenberry, Ellington, Larkin, two 2014 seconds in cash. Uh, following that, there is AC, uh, or he acquired AC and Outlaw for Ellington and Tyler. Then we had Chumper and Smith going out for Amundsen, Kirk, and Thomas with the 2019 second. Prigioni for Schved and a 2017 second. Hardaway for Grant's uh, 2020 second and 2021 second for Billy Hernan Gomez. O'Quinn for 2019. Or they acquired O'Quinn for 2019 second round pick swaps and some cash. And then the famous Calderon Grant Lopez for Holiday Rose and a 2017 second. Um, I was putting these together, and I think other I think Phil Jackson's a better uh, trader than we give him credit for. I think that the only one that really sticks out to me as being a bad trade. It's Chandler and Felton for Calderon, Dallenbear, and Ellington and Larkin. They also got two 2014 seconds out of there. Sure, it was before a, um, you know, it was before a tanking year or, you know, a lost season. But still, it's kind of, all the other ones are kind of just, you know, not great moves. They didn't fleece anyone, but, you know, just average, decent trades for a you know, new executive. But anyway. Um, yeah, anyone, I mean. Anything on that? Well, yeah, I guess obviously the one that, you know, everyone will debate forever is the, the Lopez Rose trade. Um, I don't see that as a bad just, trade. Well, the, the thing with that one is, again, it seems like there's sort of a theme with Phil where he takes something good and turns it bad. So, like, for instance, for Zingas, you could argue is his highlight of well, drafting him. And then maybe the way he handled him at the end here was the final uh, knife in the, in the coffin. But Lopez was a great signing. I mean, that, that first summer... And even the analytically minded Knicks fans were all excited with the signings from Kyle Quinn to Robin Lopez that first summer. But then he takes that contract, trades it to the Bulls for essentially, you know, if Holiday and Rose, they might be back next year, but they they probably won't. And then meanwhile, when with Lopez gone, it opens up the window to sign uh, Noah. So you took a, I guess what it is, is you took a good contract in Lopez and you exchanged it for two players who might not even be part of the team uh, beyond last year, and for a contract now that you know everyone wants them to get rid of. So I guess that's why I agree at the moment of the trade when if you're putting in, okay, could Derrick Rose surprise us all and perform maybe? But I just think it's another example of him taking an asset, whether it's like Tyson Chandler or even J.R. Smith and Amon Shumper, and just not getting back anything long term. I guess that's always been my problem. Maybe in the in the immediate term, you could argue, okay, these players, you know, could contribute to the roster, fine. But there's no long term kind of crumb. You know, you look at these trades and you think of the the crumbs that that go forward. There's nothing really there other than obviously the the Hernan Gomez 
uh, trade that you could say, oh, yeah, from this trade, he got this extra piece or this extra draft pick that we now can always look back and say that was a great trade by Phil. So but he, so here's the thing, too, on that note, because he got a lot of future draft picks in here, too. And it's, you know, I'm thinking a lot of it might just not have come to fruition yet. You know, you look at uh, Prigioni for Shved and the 2017 second. We just used that second on, you know, a player on, you know, to acquire another asset for us. I think that was for uh, um, the last guy that they drafted. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. The guy's name. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ogden or however you say it. Yeah. Uh, I'm not too concerned with him yet. But, you know, that's still a potential future piece that he got there. Um, you know, he gave up a 2020 second and 2021 for Hernan Gomez. That's not a, you know, that's a good trade that looks like too, not only because Billy is probably going to, you know, turn out to be a, an average, a, you know, an above average starter for a good period of time. Um, but that was projected to be the time that where I felt he felt the Knicks were going to be a playoff team and those picks would probably be pretty worthless. But anyway, um, you know, trade yeah, 2019 got, picks for O'Quinn. That's, you know, that's not a bad trade either. He got Right, you know, that, that one is a good one. I, I like the I like the O'Quinn, uh, the O'Quinn one. And then the reason why I also say the um, last year's big trade was not necessarily a failure either because they got the 2017 uh, second round pick in that trade too. I don't necessarily know what team that like belonged to, but that, that's the, you know, that's Dotson right there for the Knicks, a guy who might project to be a pretty you know, might be an NBA ready player. Yeah. So he got, he got some second, basically he got, you know, a stash of second round picks um, with the trade. So yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess I should qualify what I'm saying before. I'm not sitting here saying, okay, all of his trades were terrible. I just think all of them were, you know, average. And I guess so Quinn was more of a sign in, in trade. Yeah. So that, that's a little bit different, right? But um, yeah, I guess, I guess it's just like when you look at, you know, I mean, I guess it's compared, you're comparing it throughout, you know, maybe to the best franchises isn't the best thing, but maybe it is if you want to get there someday and you think of Philadelphia or Boston or uh, some of these other teams um, that have been able to acquire multiple picks, um, taking advantage of other bad situations. It just seemed like, okay, yeah, Phil's made decent trades that if, we're diehard Nick fans. We can get excited over the second round pick, but they're not trades that you would have, that you'd really look back and say, Hey, you know, look at, look at this great move that Phil made. He, he traded this bad contract or this aging player and got a future, uh, you know, a future contributor that we know for certain is going to be a major piece. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I want to go through a couple of uh, his signings too during his tenure. Uh, very famously over this last week, his first signing was uh, Lamar Odom. Um, L- Lamar Odom was on something, JB. Can you tell me what Lamar Odom was on? He was on something? He was on something. Stephen A. Smith famously uh, blurted out about it this week. Oh, I'm, I must have missed that then. <laughs> Lamar Odom was on crack. Oh, Lamar. during that during that time, you're yeah. saying when he's in New York. Yeah. <laughs> So, as we all know, due to uh, the wonderful Stephen A. Smith, Lamar Odom was the first signing. He re-signed Mello right after that. Then we had Jason Smith, uh, Travis Ware, uh, who, you know, whatever. Langston Galloway, Ricky Leto, Aaron Aflalo, Robin Lopez, Derek Williams, re-signed Lance Thomas. They got Serafin. 
Vujicic, who was probably going to fall victim to this whole thing. Uh, Jimmer Fredette was there for a hot minute. Tony Roten, Mason Plumley, Courtney Lee, Joakim Noah, Brandon Jennings. They got uh, Kuzminskis, and then Endor, Baker, and Randall. Um, that's the entire free agency list uh, of Phil Jackson's tenure. Anything to say on that? Yeah, I think the the signings, especially in that 2015 summer, um, you know, were fine. I, I think I remember people saying like, "Oh, this is strange." The Knicks had like a normal summer. They didn't go after some overpriced superstar. They signed guys like Robin Lopez and, and Kyle Quinn. Uh, Flalo was in there too, I think. Um, so I didn't, I didn't really outside of, you know, Noah being the obvious one, um, you know, even Courtney Lee, I think has, has some value where I could see a new GM coming in and, and maybe turning him into future assets. Um, but yeah, so I, I didn't really have a problem with, uh, with his signings outside of Noah. And yeah, I would agree with that too. Uh, Fredette was kind of fun for that week that he, uh, he played for the Knicks. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and that's the stuff we we have to look forward to in the middle of these losing seasons, yeah. just little things like that. Yeah, that's what that's what really stood stood out on the list. Um, okay, and I still, you know, Baker and Randall are still kind of looking to be uh, like they they could be potentially contributors for a period of time. Yeah, um, or um, Langston Galloway, that was another good one. Yep, yep. Kuzminskis could even uh, potentially you know, remain on a team for a couple of years. Um, you know, he, he's got the whole... All right, well, then let's look at draft picks now. They had Anthony early and Tanasi and Edekumpo that first season. Um, in that same draft, too, they traded cash to Indiana for uh, Labory. Is that how you say that? Uh, French stash right now. Right, yeah. I think that's um, right. Next year is Porzingis, obviously. And then this past year, we had Neil Kina, Dotson, and Jaramez. Um, what's your thoughts on the on the picking record? Yeah, so again, I mean, you know, Porzingis, 2015, actually, we were just talking about Lance, uh, and Galloway. It was, you know, him making big shots down the stretch of that 2014-15 season that gave the Timberwolves the eventual number one pick where they, where they got Towns. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, maybe that one, you know, you feel bad about, but I think overall Porzingis, you know, might be the second best player in that draft. So in a weird way, when the Knicks fell to four, um, you know, we just saw that the Lakers uh, give up on, on Russell and obviously with Okafor and, and the Sixers, uh, nobody would pick him that yeah. high. So, you know, that that's obviously the the star pick uh, for Phil, so I'm fine with that. We talked before about Milikina. Um, we're just going to have to wait and see. And then I think when anytime you can find in the second round, um, you know, a, a contributor like they did in Hernan Gomez, you have to be you know you have to be happy. So I, I think you could argue his drafting record's been pretty good. Yeah. Um, the thing I, I hesitate to throw um, Hernan Gomez in there. Because obviously they're the ones who recognize the potential and brought him and, you know, uh, have actualized him. But, you know, it still took a 20, 20 second and a 20, 21 second. We don't know how valuable those picks are going to be. But there was a little bit of cost involved, but definitely some props on Phil for recognizing that talent from the beginning. Um, I tend to think that 
they acquired Billy mostly to be uh, a tool to groom Porzingis a little bit quicker, but um, I think it's the whole experiment's just worked out wonderfully. So, uh, yeah, I think this year just ends up being the deciding factor for um, for Phil's tenure as as a drafter. You know, we'll see how Neil Kana turns out. We'll see if these second round picks turn out to be anything. Um, and you know, it's just going to have to be you know. He's he's at, he's either going one for three or two for three. You know, early in the Netacumpo didn't work out, but they weren't really projected to be much. Porzingis is obviously a win, and we'll just have to see what this year looks like. Um, so we kind of touched on this earlier, but I guess really my my parting question right now is: Is Phil going to get a, another job? <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised, and <clears throat> actually, I already see uh, Lakers Twitter lighting lighting up about. You know, does he come in and, and act as a consultant uh, there? So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he has some way of still touching the league, you know, probably through a team like the like the Lakers. Um, I don't think, though, you know, beyond that, I, I don't think you could see him being a, a president or GM again. I mean, remember, even for him to come to the Knicks, he was reluctant to do that. It was just the money was so good that he he couldn't turn it down but um it, it took 60 million dollars to get him to to come here um so i don't see him going somewhere else but i guess also sort of as my own parting thought you know when he's what's interesting is you know we just went through his trades signings and draft and when you if you just had you know like you have in front of you a, a piece of paper and you looked at all the transactions he made in his time here and that was all you had, right? Let's say you were, you know, in prison for the last three years and you came out and all you had was this piece of paper to summarize what Phil did and, and somehow knowledge of who all these players are. You, you, you wouldn't write a story that says Phil Jackson was an absolutely terrible uh, general manager. Definitely. And, you know, we're calling him, right? We're calling him general manager, obviously, even though Steve Mills sort of was there. Sure. It's more of the cloud that was around the team because of him. The fact that, you know, plugged in people in the NBA have said that team, that players do not want to come to the Knicks. The environment and, and things that, and, and trust me, I'm an analytically minded thinker. But the fact is, if you have an organization that no one wants to play for, if you have a style of play that doesn't match to the way the league is trending, those things matter. And it just shows that even with, I'll say, a B minus slash C plus, if you how much you put that Noah signing in there, record, and it's probably more B minus to be honest. Um, it still he still leaves as if he he was he was an F, all because of sort of the public relations slash environment slash you know, style of play decisions that that he made. And one thing we didn't touch about is the coaching decisions, which obviously you know, with Derek Fisher and then how quickly he gave up on him, you know, missing out on Kerr and everything that went there. But, but yeah, I mean, what, what, would you agree with that? That if you just look at the transactions that, you know, the reaction today, you'd think Knicks fans learned that, you know, we got rid of the worst GM in the history, the worst president in the history of mankind, but by transactions, I, I don't think you could call them that. I will. I'm going to stand firmly at a C plus. But I do, um, I, I agree with your point very much so. there. I, that's what I realized as I was making this list in front of me. Because I, I, that was kind of important for me to really evaluate it. So just go one by one 
and take a look now in hindsight at all of them. Um, he, um, he was we, not... We have, what's that? I'm sorry, but we have, as we're recording here, breaking news that Chris Paul is gonna is being traded to the Rockets. Wow. So that's that's very interesting. I didn't I didn't necessarily see that, but I guess James Harden's officially a shooting guard again. Yeah, um, yeah, so, so, yeah. So, sorry to. No, no. <laughs> I got no. so excited when I saw Woj's tweet. <laughs> you got a Woj's bombs are always welcome. Um, yeah, but uh, he Phil will always. He's not. He's definitely better than I thought he was. As I was going through these things, he had some very, very good moments. He had some moments where he was kind of relying on 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 name and uh, people close to him. You know, you look at um, Vujicic being on this team for so long. You look at him. You know, turning to guys that he's familiar with. There's nothing really wrong with that. But you know, it, it they it did come at the risk of some other players' developments at times. Um, but the pro- his biggest problem was that he, that really in the end his undoing was his ego, and you know he couldn't stay out of the media. He couldn't stay out of you know the players' business. He couldn't he couldn't break that cloud when maybe as the president of the team that was his responsibility to do. So I have a hard time looking at Phil as just a you know a trade partner or just you know a guy who is you know you spending and acquiring assets when his effect on the team and his impact on the team really went so much further. Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when, when I was talking before and to continue that point about environment, it, it's the things that, you know, if you have RC Buford in San Antonio or, or Dennis Lindsay out in Utah, it's the things you see other GMs taking the time to, to do right. To go and scout players, build relationships, um, I know when, when Embiid was drafted by the Sixers, I believe Hinky went over uh, with him to, uh, I think I'm, I'm trying to remember if it was his brother or sister, but I know Embiid had a family tragedy where, where someone passed away. And I believe Hinky went to the, to the funeral or stayed with him that night in his apartment. It's these things that, that the investment in time, it's really a 24-hour, 24-7 job that from the get-go we were concerned with with Phil. And I think he might have surprised some people. He actually was in New York more than we thought. We thought maybe he'd just be out in L.A. and, and fly in once in a while. But he wasn't going to college games. He wasn't scouting uh, players. Uh, he wasn't building these relationships. And it's those things that, to your point, might impact how players did develop. And to my point, what keeps maybe what's an overall – average record on transaction in uh you know a, a bad total package because he he couldn't take it further to bring the entire organization to that next level i agree all right we got some exciting times ahead of us man i hope you're ready yeah no it's uh it's fun we didn't even get to july 1st and it's um you know that i mean these last two weeks if you're a basketball fan it's it's just funny how the finals end and the interest is you know maybe at an all time high with with these trades and the draft. It, it it's a fun time. Yeah. All right, JB, you're the man. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. Uh, what's your? Can you give me the full title of your piece? Uh, for the today, actually now, of course, I'm forgetting when I have it. What I titled it, but basically, it's a breakdown of 
the Knicks 2017-18 salary cap picture. So um, I got tables and all the fun details that if you're really into the inner workings of the Knicks salary cap, um, you can check that out. All right, it's on nickswall.com right now. It'll be out on Twitter and Facebook a couple of times today. Take a look for that. Um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon. See you later, man. Okay, great. Thanks for having me. Yep.